Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 6, Family Feud. Today, we are going to start with the basis of German life, and we're going to build into German society. We're going to understand their leadership, we're going to understand their kinship. We are just going to build an understanding of what these early Germans were like. Now, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to remind you guys that there is a competition for us right now on the podcast on Germany. Remember, have your friends or family who would be interested in this podcast to follow us on Facebook or subscribe to the website. Once there, have them email me at podcastsongermany at gmail.com or send the Facebook page a message with who recommended them to the show. Whoever has the most by the end of the month gets to select the episode subject for January 8th. The only rule for that episode is that it has to be appropriate for all ages. So anyone who subscribes to the Facebook page or subscribes via email can play. So if you join up during November, you can still play. Don't feel like you had to have joined up before this competition began. Our goal by the end of the month is to have 80 listeners to the show. That would be a massive win for the podcast. Remember, this podcast is completely free for everyone, so there's nothing hiding in this. There's no hidden fees. And you can listen to this on Alexa. You can listen to this on Google, Spotify. You can listen to this on the website itself, on Facebook. There are a ton of places that you can go and listen to the show on. So, go spread the word, and let's meet podcasts on Germany's goal. Another thing I need to mention is that next week's episode is going to be delayed till Thursday. Unfortunately, I'll be extremely busy on Tuesday, and I won't have time to upload the episode. So, just be prepared that next week's episode won't be until later on in the week. The final thing I want to talk about is something that's been brought up to me. And that is, when are we actually going to get on with it and start talking about the history of the Germans? People are wondering, when are we going to start talking about actual people? Dates, war, death, politics, intrigue. Now, first of all, we did do death last episode. So, you know, that should appease you for a little while. But second, I am going to get there we will be talking about the Germans' relationship with the Roman Empire and moving on with the timeline. However, I believe it's important that we build up an understanding of these early Germans before we get into the history. Because these early Germans will outlive the Roman Empire. They will be around for the entire history of the Roman Empire and beyond. In fact, these early Germans and their society will bleed into other nations as the Roman Empire falls. Take, for instance, the British. The British will adapt many of the aspects of this early German society when they live under the Anglo-Saxons. Why? Well, that's because the Angles and the Saxons come from these early German tribes. They are originally from Germany. That's right, you British people. You got some German blood in you. So why do these early Germans survive? 
Well, we will discuss this later on when we deal with German and Roman relations. But the important thing to take away for right now is that the Germans do survive. Western Europe, North Africa, Southern Europe, and most of the Middle East all fall under the Roman Empire. In fact, out of the Western Europe area, only Scotland and Ireland can join the ranks of the Germans in avoiding complete Roman control. This is extremely important to remember, because when the Romans take over a place, they don't just establish control. They actually overthrow the culture. They take over the government, the society. Everything is changed and reformatted. Now, this takes time, but eventually, the Roman way of life expands across their empire, erasing all that was before them. We will see cookie-cutter cities built through the empire, especially in the western areas. Roman soldiers spread out. The upper classes dominate the land. Latin, the language of the Romans, begins to thrive in the land, and we see the language of the older generations start to disappear. The advantages for the people in the West was that they would get access to amazing technology that came with the Roman culture. They also get to take part in society rather than being left out in the cold. So Gaul disappears. Old Britain disappears. Old Spain disappears. Now, not completely, but to the point that the Romans overwhelm what had been there before. So while these cookie-cutter cities are spreading out through the Western Empire, they don't spread into Germany. The Germans stay outside of Roman control. And so early German life survives, despite the Romans. And they will stay like this for the next 800 years. Now, it does change. There's no doubt about it. We can see how the Romans, how the Gauls, change early German life. But the base structure of the society still remains when the Roman Empire collapses. So please bear with me. Remember, what we're talking about here is something that will last for a long time in this podcast. And so it's important for us to build an understanding of what life was like for these early Germans. So if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about Wurz. Verts were the bases, the foundations for the early Germans. It helped keep their houses above the flatland that most of Germany was located on. Now, what we had learned from the Verts was that German society was built around small villages with no major cities. We know that the ideas of the Verts had spread outwards from the coastline into central Germany. On top of these Verts, we saw construction of longhouses with a focus on families. This is the base that we are going to build our early German society off of, starting with this family inside a longhouse on top of a vert. We start with the nuclear family, and it builds into the larger world of a sib, and eventually into a tribe. Now, the nuclear family is built around a couple and their children, and then expands into the parents, so the grandparents for the children, their brothers, which would be the uncles, and the uncles' families. This is what would belong in a longhouse. The nuclear family farms and manages the livestock together. So that family will have control of a certain amount of land, a certain amount of animals that they maintain. All of them live in a longhouse together, and they are the closest 
bond for the early Germans. There is no one that has a tighter connection than the nuclear family. And these ties will form the base for everything else. So outside of the nuclear family, we build the Sibs. The Sibs is a kin group formed from several nuclear families, typically within the same village. These Sibs are considered freeborn, typically building relationships through extended blood and marriages. Now, these Sibs are unifying to the village. They build a strong bond. They're focused on loyalty, on honor, on friendship, and love. Now, that doesn't mean that these Sibs are welcoming. In fact, they're quite the opposite. If you aren't from the Sib, if you aren't from the village, then you are probably seen as a threat to these early Germans. These Sibs would have been very xenophobic, afraid of outsiders. And it was mainly because they were farmers always on the brink of starvation. These farmers are making enough food to survive by so that their families can live for the next year. They are rarely making enough to provide for others. So the entrance of outsiders, especially those who aren't bringing anything to the village, would have been seen as a hostile more often than not. So we have the family bond and we have the sib bond. You go from your longhouse to your neighbors. Those are your two strongest bonds. There's a third bond that intermixes with those other two. And it's a very dangerous bond. This bond is called a feud. And it could intermix within families, within sibs, or it could be with another sib. Now this isn't like family feud today. This is an extremely dangerous feud. So what was a feud to these early Germans? A feud would be a way to end a dispute, though it typically never really ended a dispute, between family members, between sib members, between sibs. Now what the feud does is it sets a rule for conflict and it limits the scope of said conflict. It makes sure that it does not leak outside of the two opposing forces. It won't bring in another family. It won't bring in another sib. It stays focused between the two who have the issue. This feud would serve as a third bond that unifies families and sibs against one another. Think of it like this. John and his friend Klein have grown up together within the same sib. They are the best of friends. They have a strong bond. However, one day, while working in the field, they get into a fight. John has been hitting on Klein's girl. Klein doesn't like it. They break out into a fight, and John kills Klein. Now, Klein's family is upset, to say the least. And so... They watch John for a few days. They learn his habits. One night, John, after finishing in the field, is on his way home when he's attacked by Klein's uncle. The uncle kills John and leaves his body there on the ground. John's family hears about the attack, finds the body, and they know that it was Klein's family that did it. They start planning their revenge. Now the families have a feud with one another. Neither side sees themselves in the wrong. 
John's family sees the first murder as an accident, but the second one was deliberate. Klein's family sees John's attack as unprovoked, and the uncle's attack on John as justice. Both sides blame each other for this feud, and John's family will eventually strike out against Klein's in some way. What the feud does is it makes sure that their neighbors aren't brought in, that the Sib isn't forced to choose a side. It's either Klein's family or John's family that will win, but they won't receive any outside help. These feuds could last for generations. And while it does cement kinships and bonds between family members, it does nothing to unite Sibs or larger clans. Think about it. How active are you going to be involved within your clan's society if you're busy fighting with your neighbor? How much attention are you going to give to anyone else when you could be murdered by the family across the street? These feuds proved to be a major blot for larger tribes, for unification of Sibs. Because if you are so busy focusing on your fight, you're never going to help anyone else. You always have to look out for yourself. And once it goes on to the next generation, it gets even harder. Because you can't betray your father or your grandfather. Eventually, these feuds will run across all the German tribes. And they would act like a sleeping volcano that could erupt at any moment with unpredictable results. So the feud is a massive negative for the early Germans. It will be an easy point of weakness that the Romans can use. So the next bond for the Germans is the tribe or clan. Now compared to the last three that we've talked about, this is the weakest of the bonds. A clan or a tribe could spread over 20 or 50 households, especially in the beginning. And so we're looking at maybe three or four villages that are close enough that they know each other and can build a relationship with one another. Remember, most Sibs are xenophobic. So these villages have to be close enough that they can keep an ongoing conversation. Now the clan would have very little significance to an average German. And for the early Germans, these clans would have been pretty much non-existent, only be used in case of emergencies. If there was a crisis, the clans could assemble. And these crises would be because the environment is failing the crops. There's flooding. There's a drought. There's too heavy of a winter. Or it could be that there's a new threat. Nomads from the east have arrived and are threatening villages, and they need to work together to put an end to it. Now, later on, we will see more and more of these clans forming, but in the beginning, they're very rare. And there's a reason why these clans are so rare to be part of society. That is because they are relying on farmers who are always on the verge of collapse. The farmers can't be away from their farms for too long, especially not for something political. They have to take care of their families. Anything political comes second. Now these clan leaders, the ones who would be in charge of these large gatherings, they don't have much say or way of keeping the farmers there in the beginning. That's because the clan leaders don't have any enforcers, warriors, who could 
keep the farmers there on pain of death. And they also don't have any wealth, money, or items that they could give to the farmers or the enforcers to get them to work with them. These German tribes in the beginning are extremely poor. And so the leaders can't afford to buy permanent warriors. They can't afford to buy the farmers to help them out. So the clans, these tribes, are very weak in the beginning. Now we'll talk more about them later on when we deal with the Romans. But for now, this is the weakest bond that an early German commoner would have. Alright, so we've built the social bonds of the early Germans. Let's put our people in. Let's see what life is like for them. Let's start off with the man. Well, first of all, you are the man of the house. From what we've been told, the Germans are practicing a patriarchal form of family. This means the male is in charge. The men make the decisions. They control the power over the village, over the family. All trade and relationships are controlled by them. Now, the one who's in control is typically the father figure within the family. Upon their death, they are replaced by the oldest male. The only time they are not is if there's not a male of sufficient age. Now, not all these men are equal, as we can see in the village of Ferdisen Verde. Now, if you remember Ferdisen, that was the village that we found 12 longhouses in. One of the longhouses had trappings that showed that they were a leading family or a local chieftain. They had a larger, more elaborate longhouse compared to the others. It was also located towards the head of the village. Now for the males, to be the lead didn't mean you had to be noble birth. From what we can tell, it could have been selected. You could have been voted upon. Maybe you were extremely charismatic. Maybe you had more land. Maybe you had proven yourself worthy of leading. We're not sure. But leadership wasn't always based on birth. Just because you were the leader didn't mean there was much difference between you and your neighbor, who was just a regular farmer. The leader is just going to be a farmer just like his neighbors. The only difference is that he will have the main voice when it comes to dealing with outside forces, with other sibs, more often than not. As a male, you're typically going to be farming, maybe hunting or fishing, depending on where your village is. But more often than not, you're farming. You're maintaining the livestock. Occasionally, you'll have to go out and defend the village. And we'll talk more about that next week. Now, what if you were a woman? Well... If you're married, you may not be the first wife of your husband. From what we know, Germans seem to practice something that's called resource polygamy. Resource polygamy doesn't mean you marry as many women as you can. It's you marry as many women as you can afford. So the more resources you have, the more wives you can have. So, as a woman... You may be the second or third wife of a husband, if that husband can afford that many wives. This all depends on the size of their farm and the amount of food they can produce. Now, when women are married off, they don't lose connection to their old family. In fact, there's a stronger bond 
that's built between the two families through the marriage. This is how the sibs start to form. Now, as the woman, you would move into the male's longhouse. And your family, well, the males of your family at least, could still inherit from whatever was produced by you and your husband. So if your husband died and there were no males left on his side, then your family could receive or inherit what he had left. Now, women aren't stuck in this role of wife. Women could become the leaders of their families if there are no males to take over. There are examples of families being controlled by the matriarch, by the mother of the household, due to the fact that the husband is dead or is not there to manage. Women also have power outside of the family. Many women will become extremely powerful priestesses and seers. One was named Valletta, who will actually unite German tribes in an uprising against the Romans in the first century AD. So women are not stuck within the house. As many of them become priestess or seers, they are given respect, they are given power, and they'll become unifying figures throughout history. Now, if you're the children, you probably have some free time, but eventually you are going to be learning how to run the farm. You may be married off eventually to form a stronger bond within the Sibs. You will be learning about your family's feuds and passing it on to your children when the time comes. And that's what life is like for this nuclear family. But these are just the commoners. These are just the average people. What if you were below the average commoner? What if you were a slave? Well, this isn't what life is like for you. For slaves, you're typically captured prisoners of war. Typically not bought, because remember, these Germans are poor. And Germany, at this time, is relying on a barter system more than a coin system. Now, you may be asking, what is a barter system? Well, a barter system relies on a trade of items rather than using something to represent items within a trade. So let's say you went to a local store. If we were using the barter system, you would have to bring items with you to trade in order to get things at the store. So let's say you wanted to buy a gallon of milk you would need to bring something such as eggs in order to trade it. If the owner of the store has enough eggs, they may tell you, I don't need eggs, but I could really use a sack full of wheat. You're going to have to go find someone who will trade you a sack full of wheat for the eggs you have so you can go get that gallon of milk. You see the issue with the system? If you're relying on barter, you have to bring the right items for the trade. Now, the system we use in our modern world is a monetary system. We have bills, paper bills, we have checks, we have cards that represent a wealth. And we use this to trade. And so, instead of saying he needs a sack full of wheat for the milk, he will tell us that he will sell us the milk for a certain amount of cash that we have. 
And this makes it easy because we only have to carry around the cash then. We don't have to carry around all these goods to trade with. It also makes it extremely easy to build up wealth. Because think about it, if you're relying on a barter system to build up wealth, that means you have to have all the goods on hand. And a lot of these goods, milk, eggs, meat, they expire over time. And so their value drops. So to be really rich in a barter system won't last long because everything you've collected, everything that shows you're wealthy, is going to be gone really fast. Meanwhile, money doesn't expire. It may lose value, but it won't disappear completely. And so you can build wealth over time. So for these slaves... In order to purchase them, you'd probably need a lot of material to trade with. And so more often than not, you're not going to see a lot of slave trading happening until we can get a monetary system set up. Here's the thing about slaves, though. Even though they give you work, they also come with the fact that you have to provide for them. You have to feed them in order to continue using them. Farmers who are always on the verge of collapsing can't afford too many more mouths to feed. And for each slave you add, that's more food going away from your family. So overall, slaves in early German society is going to be few. Where we are going to see slaves more often than not will be in the religious sex. And as you could see from last episode, the place that slaves probably don't want to be in because they're going to be used for sacrificial purposes. Now what about the nobles? Well, again... We've already mentioned that they're not going to have that much of a lifestyle difference compared to their neighbors because we're on a barter system that requires a buildup of goods that expire rather quickly over time. A lot of times these nobles aren't born but selected due to traits. That just depends on the sibs. And frankly, we don't have enough knowledge about the sibs to understand the complete process. But in the beginning, these leaders are not going to be that different from their neighbors. Over time, this will change, especially when we reach Roman and German connections. But right now, the nobles are just slightly more powerful than the commoner. There you have it. You have the nobles, who are slightly better than the commoners, but not really, because they're interchangeable. You have the commoners who are barely surviving, who are focused on a patriarchal society, but where women can still have power. Then you have the slaves who are coming from prisoners of war, and more often than not are being edged out of society, being given to religious sects, being sacrificed to the gods, because it's easier doing that than trying to provide for them. Life in early Germany wasn't that easy. That's all we're going to talk about for this week. For next week, join us as we talk about German warfare and burial rites. Remember to help out podcasts on Germany and its goal of 80 listeners. I'll see you guys next Thursday.